You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 281, Brandon Andres and the Controversy of Love. Why is that controversial? Hey friends, before we get the show started today, I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, and I want you to just go and check it out. The show is called 10 Minute Bible Hours, hosted by Matt Whitman. And I'll tell you what, the reason I love this show, if you feel like you need to cram an hour's worth of Bible study into 10 minutes because your life is just so busy, this is the podcast for you. 10 Minute Bible Hour is a lot of fun. Matt is an engaging teacher, and he just goes through scripture. So the ones that I listened to recently, uh, he was going through the book of Matthew, went over it, and it was funny, and it was fun to listen to, and it was just like this little dose of Bible right in the middle of my day. It tries to be around 10 minutes, but it's not always. Friends, you can go to the TMBH for the 10minutebiblehour.com the tmbh.com to get the show. And there you can find links to their YouTube channel or to find it in your favorite podcast app. Hey, let's get this show started. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am excited to bring you this conversation. By the way, if you enjoy it, I know you're going to. I, I We strive really hard to have great conversations every episode. Uh, but if you do, would you do me a favor and just tell a friend or tell a family member, send them a text, share it on social, tag me. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Uh, but it would mean a lot to me if you would just share the show. It's the best compliment you can give halfway there. So thanks for doing that. Our guest today, I'm excited. He's uh, the author of What Can't Be Hidden and bestselling book, Beauty in the Wreckage, Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage. We could all use a little bit of that. Won't even uh, bring up all the issues. I'm sure you have your own, and we're all we're all struggling with it. So our our guest is Brandon Andres. Brandon, welcome to Halfway There. The Eric Nevins. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Man, it's finally good to put a voice with the face and actually meet you for the first time. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's exciting. I think we've run around in kind mm-hmm. of some of the same circles in Facebook and places, and so it's always fun to have. Uh, kind of put a face to the name and, and hear a story, which is what we do here. I love, I love doing that. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. So uh, obviously you're a writer, but there's probably more to Brandon than, than writing. So tell us, tell us a little more about kind of who you are, where God has you right now. Well, no, I'm pretty one dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a piece uh, of paper. No, oh, okay. not it. Um, yeah, man, I, <sighs> I've been writing for probably about 15 years and I I spent a lot of the time, you know, kind of launching a blog in 2007. So yeah, about what, 14 years ago. And, and I I honestly never intended on writing a book. And so it's kind of surprising that after that amount of time that I've written four books, but outside of writing, um, I I do a ton of backpacking and I I wouldn't consider myself a professional by any stretch, but I take it pretty seriously. And so I love backpacking. I live in Columbus, Indiana. 
Uh, I have three kids and a wife and a dog. And so, you know, pretty pedestrian and <laughs> pretty basic, but you know what? Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's very good. Yeah. Where do you like to go backpacking? Uh, we've been twice to Alaska and it's oh, one wow. of those deals where probably the most adventurous one was we flew into this place called McCarthy, Alaska population 76 and actually, we didn't fly in there. <laughs> we we flew into Anchorage and then drove seven and a half hours to um, McCarthy, which is okay. in the southeast corner of Alaska, pretty close to the border of Canada. And we took a bush plane into the mountains, and it just dropped us off in the Wrangles. And we spent oh, wow. seven or eight days just backpacking through the mountains. And I, I don't think I've ever had a time in my life where for all of those days, I heard nothing but nature. I mean, that is pretty surreal if you think about it. Like how many times in your life do you not hear anything but nature for that period of time? It's unbelievable. So yeah, very rarely. All right. Well, you're making me think that I have not done very many backpacking trips, which is kind of a travesty since I live in Colorado, but we did one time, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, One time my wife, my friend, his wife dropped us off at the Continental Divide up at Berthoud Pass, which right. is, you know, and we trudged up, uh, you know, the mountains. And I mean, like, we're not even, I don't know, two or 300 yards. And I'm already like, why does this hurt? Why? Do, <laughs> what is what is that? And I am just knew uh, I was in for it, you know, but uh, you know what? We were I just what, there. I mean, we just did a week long backpacking trip on the Colorado Trail. So I did, oh, nice. I don't yeah. know, maybe 80, 90, 100 miles over a week. And it's just phenomenal. Just so beautiful. You live in a great state, man. Great state. It's a good, good place to be. It's one of those things where, like, I lived in Chicago for seven years, never went to the the big museum down there, right? Like, why didn't I do that? Same thing here. Like, you know, it's like, well, we get up to the mountains like once or twice a year, whatever. They're just there. But anyway, it is beautiful. I'd like to get up there when I can, maybe do a little fly fishing. But uh, that backpacking, that's hardcore. So we already know a little something about about you. Uh, So Indiana. So did you grow up in Indiana? I did. I grew up on the Ohio River in Madison, Indiana. And so I... I grew up in Madison. I went to Hanover College, which is in southern Indiana. I lived in Indianapolis, and now I live south of Indian Columbus, which surprisingly is, uh, I think, one of the top five or six most architectural cities in the United States. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a city of probably fifty to 60,000 people, but someone had the vision a long time ago in Columbus and the foresight to bring world-renowned architects to Columbus to build everything. And so wow. a, a few years ago, they made a, a major motion picture called Columbus, and it is a movie, and like a real movie, and it really centers around the architecture of Columbus. It's a phenomenal movie. John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson are in it, Parker wow. Posey. Anyway... Cool stuff. I, I've been in Indiana my whole life, but I was thinking about this the other day. I thought uh, they just had the uh, NCAA college football championship in Indianapolis. And I thought we just have a great state. It's just right in the middle and we do a good job hosting people and super hosp- hospitable. And, you know, we don't have mountains like you do, but we have cornfields. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I grew up, in Iowa. So I understand cornfields. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, there's a, there's something that soothes the soul when you talk about, uh, 
about a nice cornfield. So that's that is good. I I do enjoy it when we get back during the during corn season. But also, I like to eat it, so that's good. Um, is uh okay? So was it a Christian family growing up? Yeah, I was. I grew up in the church probably from the time that I was a baby, and have always been. And of course, like most people, there's been um, ups and downs, ins and outs. I've been an attender. I've been a lay leader. Um, probably sometimes in that I didn't follow Jesus. And more recently, I probably have maybe over the last 10 to 15 years. And um, so, yeah, I've been in church my entire life. And we actually stepped out and started a grassroots organic church in Columbus in 2007. That's around the time that I started writing. And through a lot of variables changing, I ended up which I never intended for this to happen, but I ended up being one of the primary speakers or teachers on Sunday. And around that time, I had this voracious, I don't read very much, but I had this voracious appetite at the time to just consume, consume deep, dense theology books. And it was, it's pretty inexplicable because I really don't have that desire anymore. But I really feel like that around that time, there were several books that I read that became very instrumental in my theology of understanding who I am and what the kingdom of God is and how everything fit within that. And so I think that was kind of the launching pad of my writing, honestly. And uh, leading up to 15 years later, here we sit, and I never intended to write a fiction book, never thought that I would. And so it was a bit of a surprise in the summer of uh, to 2019 when all of a sudden an idea came to me. So. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So I do want to talk about that, but I want to hear more about your story and I know you said, so I don't know if this is, if you could, how much you want to get into as far as with, with the book, but I do want to hear some things because what you just said intrigues me because I think there are seasons where learning stuff like theology is actually really, really formative and important. Um, but I want to set that up before with kind of what life in Christ was like for you before that. Right. Sure, so sure. what, what was it, um, you know, what was it like either growing up or kind of in the, in the years, say before that, when you were, before you had that kind of desire? Yeah, I grew up in a church where my uncle was the preacher and my aunt was the organist and the pianist and the Sunday school organizer and my entire family from uh, cousins to, I mean, you name it, everybody, cousins, uncles, aunts, everybody, they were there. So it, it, my grand, grandparents. Mm. And so it, it was kind of a, a big deal. And so, you know, I, I think the way that I would look back on it now um, in this season is that it, I definitely, it was definitely a more fundamentalist church. And so part of my growth has been maybe a stronger reaction to some of the fundamentalism. However, there were certain things that were instilled in me at that time that are very good. And so you, you, nothing's really all bad or all good, if you know what I mean. And so part of being in a fundamentalist church is that there are parts of it that are super judgy and it, it can be very guilt driven in many ways, but at the same time, um, Man, my knowledge of, I, I probably couldn't quote chapter and verse, but my memory of just scripture and just, it's always in my mind and always on my lips. And there's no way that it would have been otherwise had I not grown up yeah, yeah. that. So 
there's some real, and you know what, I, one, one other thing I will say is regardless of what their theology was at that time, there was a deep sense of community and care for each other. And I, I think, man, right. that is, that's an attribute that we desperately need right now. And so it was something that I, I even within me right now, it's something I long for. Absolutely. Yeah, I can relate to that. My my wife grew up in a fair, pretty, well, very, very fundamentalist church, but uh, they had a lot of fun and she, she misses it, you know, so yeah. much to, to, to this day. And we, like, we would do things, holidays, New Year's Eve was always at church, you know, um, like all those kinds of things. And yeah, so I, I hear you with the community. Like, it seems like that used to be a bigger part of sort of society or at least the ways that we engaged and I don't know if that's technology or what it is that that did that or just we don't maybe we don't value it as much mm. um or maybe there were some issues with some of the other <laughs> kinds of things I mean there there is some of that too I think that's fair um but anyway so I I love I love what you said about that how that was a really uh formative thing I also am just going to highlight right here that the knowledge of scripture is what I love about um Richard Foster's Streams of Living Water, mm-hmm. right? His So he talks about that sort of evangelical tradition that values the word, yep. which shouldn't be denigrated. So mm-hmm. I love that, that you kind of got that as a as a foundation. And you mentioned that you had kind of had a season when you wanted to, like, you were like, I've got to read some theology. What precipitated that? Like, why did that happen? Man, it was probably more of kind of this asking, seeking, knocking thing with, with God mm. of being like, you know, and I, I've kind of grown up with certain assumptions and certain beliefs and what I've been told to believe. And looking back on it, that would have been probably right around the time that I was 30 years old. And I thought, man, I, I don't even know if I know what I really believe. I don't even know if I can articulate because I know that I don't necessarily yeah. agree with everything that I grew up with then, but I don't even, I don't even know what anything looks like outside of that. So I think there was a part of it where it was just curiosity and trying to figure out, just get some sort of foundation of understanding. And that didn't necessarily mean that I was reading things that I always agreed with, but I think it was challenging maybe suppositions that I had or pushing me in areas where, uh, (laughs) oddly enough, reading things that made me super uncomfortable at the time. But now looking back in retrospect, I'm like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> but at the yeah, time, right. it was really scary to even challenge some of the ideas that I held. So I think that that was it, is that just really trying, because I'm a, I'm a very deep thinker. I'm very inquisitive. I want to know things deeply, and I'm going to search until I find it. So that yeah. was what precipitated it. Well, that's a there's a point in there about spiritual growth, too. And I think... There, there almost always is a season where, uh, for most of us, it looks different, but where we have to dig into things like that and really figure out what we, what we want to know. For me, it was Bible college, right? Like I had that when I, when I started digging into that stuff, and I'm like, well, why didn't anybody teach me this about the Bible, right? Huh? Weird. Um, or theology, you know, getting exposed to new theologies, whatever it is. So, what were you reading that was kind of, that was kind of challenging to you then, but now you'd be like, oh yeah. Well, this. There were a few books. I mean, the book that really scared me at the time because it really challenged everything that I had, the foundation that I had built up over time was 
uh, myth of a Christian nation by Greg Boyd. And yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of it that challenges kind of the kingdoms of the world mindset, which I think that's the scary part because you start realizing how much maybe your faith is ingrained with that. But on the flip side, it really introduced me to the kingdom of God and understanding what that might look like to embody, you know, a different reality in this world. And so, you know, maybe I'd spent so much of my time growing up thinking that everything was future distant, meaning my faith now uh, was only good for what it pays off for in the future, and not realizing that it was actually something that I can embody presently and begin living out mm. and spreading outward in my life, in my family and in my community and so on, you know, in the world. So I think that was probably one of the big books. And then, you know, of course, the book that really messed really messed me up as well was Everything Belongs by Richard Rohr. And oh, I, wow. I, I read, that, I think that was his, one of his first books that he had ever written. And I read it and I was like, I do not understand one thing that he's talking about. And I know that it gives me these weird feelings on the inside, but I don't know why. And I committed to just continually reading that book and trying to understand it. And I think it's beautiful. I, I It's probably one of the most influential books in my life and actually in the book that the, the novel that i just wrote there are some ideas even from that early book that i explore in the novel so yeah that one as well yeah interesting yeah okay so i think it's that's super fascinating about how kind of reading outside of your tradition can kind of open up your you know theological understanding and give you i had this experience I remember being in my 20s. I went to a really Calvinistic school, right? Yeah. And I spent a lot of time on that and on open theism and just trying to like understand it because I was in, you know, theological education, that's sure. what you do. And um I remember just not liking Clark Pinnock, right? Like I'm like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> that can't be right." And then I was looking through the IVP catalog looking for, you know, uh people to have on the show coming up and they had a Clark Pinnock book and I was like, now I want to read that. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, kind of a kind of a strange turn of events, right? So I I can relate to that. But anyway, okay. So I will add this though. It is kind of funny that at, maybe the the thing that I learned is just how I don't need to move forth in my life in a defensive posture, you know. And wow. it, it, I can read and explore ideas. And in fact, I think I can't even remember the book that I read. It, it was a very Oh, I think it was the Marxist manifesto recently, because I'm like, I'm just going to read it just to find out what it's saying. And I likely won't agree with much. Uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't, but it turns out that I didn't. But I read it. And I think that's the way that I can understand and relate to what people are thinking and feeling and the, maybe even the trajectory that culture is going. And yeah. Anyway, I, I just think it's so important for us, not just with books, but with people, just to be able to explore different people, different ideas, different cultures to understand and not move forward in a def defensive posture. You must have learned that somewhere, right? There was something that happened or there was a, there was kind of a, I'm sure a season or something that went, that you went through. How, how'd you come to that conclusion? Well, you know, here we go with scripture, right? I mean, we know yeah. that fear is not of God. And I, I think, man, that's, that's something that we just need to, that's a mantra that we just need to continually say to ourselves and repeat to one another and be like, Hey, Hey church, 
remember this mantra. <laughs> There's no fear in Christ. There's no fear in God. And I, I think that there is, it's not just the mantra, it's not just the, the scripture, but I think maybe hopefully as, maybe as I've understood the kingdom of God and just wanting to follow Jesus more closely in everything, you just realize very quickly that Jesus moved forward with everyone in a non-defensive posture. And, and I think he was willing to sit at the table with everybody the sinners, the enemies, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. I could go down the list, but it's like you, you've got a guy that literally loved his enemies. And I, I don't know any other way to move forward and love your enemies if you do it in a defensive posture. I mean, the only way that you can move forward is in love. And that's pretty radical. But, um, you know, but it's not something I don't think that I just woke up one day and I'm like, hey, I'm going to start doing this. I, I think that it, it's the small things. It's it's reminding ourselves. It's training ourselves into it. It's discipling with other people. It's having the conversations. It's exploring new areas. It's, you know, I mean, crazy thing. I mean, and this is something big for me, right? I mean, it, I had never been in a bar probably my entire life, or I had never been in a homeless shelter my entire life. And I was like, I'm going to walk into these places and I'm going to start meeting people. And it's like, I don't need to cower. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to hide behind the church walls. I need to get out and just make everywhere I go a part of this living, life-giving community. And so, I don't know. There's probably a lot that goes into that. But I think uh, tr really trying to embrace a, a posture of love rather than fear has to be... <laughs> has to be the uh the way forward though absolutely 100 would not disagree with that it is astounding how controversial the idea of love like true unconditional love for all people is it still blows me away every time i try to talk about it and people like get upset i'm like why <laughs> how can you be upset about this this is literally the definition of christ likeness but okay but don't you um, think, don't you think that what what ends up happening is because I, I think that this is the way that i remember it is that if you love somebody in their sin, if you will, that means that you're just condoning it, right? We right. somehow yep. made this love posture synonymous with condoning whatever we disagree with. And, and I think that that's, that's the slippery slope of it is that it's love without condition. And it doesn't mean you're condoning anything. It's just, I will love you despite. And that's just a beautiful way to live. Yeah. Or I see, I really get hung up on that, even like the despite kind of language, you know, like oh, sure. because, because I don't think once you introduce the idea of deserve to love, it's no longer love. It's simply earning. It and so is, you have yeah. you. Yeah, it just is. It, I love you because you are because you, you are. exist. That's right. Yes. And it's the same way God loves us. He just loves us because we're here and we're, we're already his. And so why wouldn't he love us? But so hard for some people <laughs> to get right and so it's just like i get i in fact after this i'm going to go post it on facebook just to see what happens because i love to love to watch the fireworks but anyway <sighs> it, it astounds me it literally blows me away but this but this is part of the spiritual journey right is kind of figuring out how uh, is learning that and i really think love is the pinnacle of the spiritual journey so 
but nobody gets here overnight. So oftentimes we go through a some sort of dark night of the soul or some sort of um you can call it spiritual desert, whatever you want to call it. Christians have been writing about it for millennia, but it happens and it's regular. I'm wondering, did you go through something like that to that kind of led you to a, to this place? You know, I, I always hear people talk about pivot points where it's that one thing. It's it is the dark night of the soul. It's that moment of deep suffering or pain that kind of propels a person in a direction. And I don't think that I've ever really had one moment. I've had many. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and I feel well, like that I just keep having them. <laughs> Right. I, that's a great point, actually. I was thinking this earlier today as I was editing, because I, I just interviewed Brian Zond, and he talks about how he had like a 12-year period where he was studying, wrestling, going through all the things. And I was like, yeah, that's a long time for a dark night of the soul. But it probably, it's probably right, right? It's just kind of a, it's, a, it's like just things keep happening. So give me some examples of like yeah. things that happened to you. I mean, there have been so many, but I, I just think probably the year of the entire year of 2017. And it's crazy to pick out a year that's pre pandemic because that's a whole <laughs> other thing itself that I could talk about. But in, in 2000, and this really is kind of the prelude to my book, Beauty and the Wreckage, the one that came out prior to this one. But man, we, I, I, I had a house church. Uh, I have a house church that I'm a part of, and we had been together at that time, probably about 10 to 12 years, 10 or 11 years. And within the span of that year, we had uh, one of the couples going through some very serious situations with uh, her, her husband got arrested for narcotics and lost his job and went to prison. And it's like, it was completely, I mean, you know, he was taking legitimate stuff and then it just escalated and it just devastated us. And then around that time, one of our best friends, their 15 year old son just died in an accident. And, Mm. And beyond that, I mean, we had other close friends, that year who had a full-term baby delivered and it died and then on top of it I mean probably to a lesser degree but still heart-wrenching our dog of 17 years we had to put down and 2017 I've never experienced anything inside of me that I don't even know if there are really words I know that people have moments where they suffer and granted I was you know one degree of separation and this wasn't necessarily but it's like this is our family and it it just it just ravaged me just completely just ripped me out and I started asking really big questions because I'm like how how do you go through this kind of stuff and ever experience joy again how, how do you go through things like this? And you, you hear words of Jesus where he says, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And you're like, how do you reconcile that with this kind of pain? And man, I think for me, that sent me on another exploration of how do you handle the tension? And ultimately what it led to was the book where I'm wrestling through trying to figure out 
is it irreconcilable? Can, can you go through suffering and pain and still experience um, life to the fullest? So, well, what did you decide? <laughs> yeah. Did you solve the, the mystery of, of evil? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, oh, okay. I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, and, and it's a nuanced book and it has a lot of stories and anecdotes and a lot of colorful and beautiful language. But I think the place that I ended up was that you can hold both intention. And, and, and that's, it seems like an impossibility, but I think at the same time, there is pain and suffering that you hold on one hand and, and you're not diminishing it by still living life. You're not, you know, for the life that's lost, you are not, you should not feel guilty for drinking your coffee and looking out the window and saying it's a beautiful day. You know, you can hold those two mm. things in tension. And I think that a lot of times especially my friends who lost their son, I think early on, it was like, are we allowed to be happy anymore? Are we allowed to laugh with our friends? Are we allowed to go out to eat? Are we allowed to celebrate? Are we allowed to open gifts? And, and I think that's the thing is it's giving people permission, yes, to grieve and even like Christ suffered, but at the same time, it's like Christ suffered, but then said, there still is a full and rich life that you can enter into. And I don't think that it's one or the other. It has to be both. Mm. Yeah. It sounds to me like you were obviously going through grief in, you know, with all these situations, one thing stacked on top of another throughout the year. I can relate to that. Maybe that's just getting older too. Right. But, um, but that's, but at the same time you had to, had to explore that and kind of, come to that tension of already, not yet, that whole kingdom that's it. kind of mindset. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, there's only a certain amount of he healing that can happen in this lifetime. There's only a certain amount of restoration that's going to be possible in this lifetime. And I think while we work together to provide healing salve for one another with our words and our actions and the way that we bless one another, you know, there's no question that that wound still is carried and we still look to the future and say man i hope that one day all things will be set right that my heart will be completely completely healed and mended mm. and so you're exactly right i mean it is truly the um the now but not yet kind of mindset of we, we always hold out hope in the midst of it but you know it also provides the fertile ground for things to grow and you know, whenever right. you're tilling up the ground as much as I'm not trying to make suffering or pain that we enter into simplistic, but whenever you're tilling up the ground, it sure does provide opportunities within that to see beauty, to see something that blesses other people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I love that. I've been thinking a lot lately about the sort of kingdom ideas like that already. Not yet. It's one of them. Sort of the God is, you know, he's promised you know, I, my, my go-to is in, I can't remember, is it Re Revelation 21, where mm -hmm. God says, behold, I'm making all things, all things new. new. Yep. Yep. And then the promise is, well, someday yeah. it will be, God will live with them, right? And it'll be, I will be their God and they will be my people, my people yep. which is throughout scripture so frequently. It's unbelievable. I can't believe I'd never heard of that <laughs> until I went to school, right? Like, what? Why? <laughs> Maybe I was a kid and I wasn't paying attention, but it just, it's such a huge, 
a huge concept. And so, you know, I hear you saying, God, I'm really yearning for that. That was a time when you, 2017 was a time when you, when you felt it. I still feel it. <laughs> yeah. Which, right. Yeah. I mean, how can you not going through the pandemic and, and all of these things? Like, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. it's, this is fertile ground for that, as you said. Well, okay. So it's interesting. Um, where did, where'd you go from there? And how, I'm, I'm curious as you, so like a dark night like that often will take things that we were committed to as our identity or things that we thought that, and God will use them to kind of take those away or take, or get, and give us a new identity. Eventually. Did you have any experience like that? Hmm. You know, I, in an odd way, being that I was, you know, one degree of separation from all of the suffering, it really put me in this kind of new, new position of, <laughs> man, I, it, it's crazy because when, when things like that happen, I, I, I think at the time I was saying, we're entering new territory that we've never been. Like, no, no one really says, well, here's what you need to do when this happens. And I think for me at that time, I felt like my, my, I've never known my role as shepherd as well as I did at that time of just mm. feeling like I need to say the things that offer hope. I need to be, you know, I, I, I don't know really how to explain it other than that. I mean, I feel like in some sense, whenever our house church had been together, that always kind of led it and and facilitated it and I you know cared for people and we'd touch base and text and it's like but that's that's kind of at a really not surface level but just below the surface and I think going into a time like 2017 just really opened up something within me that of, of like this the deepest level of care the deepest level of caring mm. for people and making sure that their their basic needs are taken care of. You know, not that any of it was dependent on me. I get that, but it's like I started understanding maybe uh, at a deeper level how important, maybe I can expand it, how important the role of shepherding people is, but not just in that small, finite space, but in life in general, how we need yeah. people as good guides mm. that are going to lead us to good places and i've carried that with me for sure yeah boy i love that good guides this is what i get so and i got to be careful here because i don't want to like malign every pastor but so so many um are just you know they're they're not able they're so, so busy with preaching and other things they're not able to be that shepherd right we need more shepherds i think i think we need we need to do that um there's probably a lot of reasons for that that I could preach about for a while, but we don't need to get into that. Um, so interesting. Uh, okay, so it sounds like that that really was a formative a formative time for you. I'm curious because you wrote like this this book, what can't be hidden, is fiction. You said earlier that you kind of had started writing. You've written four books. That's cool, uh, but you kind of started writing as like a this is like a is it just kind of your way of processing things? Uh, but why did you write a fiction book? Like that's kind of unique yeah and and so i think that i i think that i start getting feelings about things and usually it's 
it, it seems like it's a little prescient. So I feel like I started getting the feeling around 2018 and 2019 that culturally there, we were at each other's throats so much and, and everything had become so divisive. And I don't know if other people had this kind of experience, but the things that I would write on my blog were pretty heavy and I, I would try to incorporate some stories, but for the most part, I was going pretty deep with it. And with information overload and everybody at each other's throats and against one another and very antagonistic, I feel like that a lot of people were just like, I'm just starting to tune out with just information. And I, I just want to retreat. I need to do that from a mental health perspective and I get it. And I know tons of people who said, I'm done watching the news. I'm done reading things. I don't care about others' opinions. I'm just shutting down. And I started sensing this and I thought, I, I remember thinking at the time it would be interesting to start pursuing some sort of fiction idea where maybe possibly I could incorporate the ideas that I have with flesh and blood, with context and character. And, but I, I thought that's a crazy idea. Don't, don't ever do that because you know what do you really what do you really know about fiction and so I just really I got disarmed one day and like I was mentioning I it was the most unbelievable thing I was just out mowing my lawn in June of 2019 I started mowing I just kind of had this I don't want to say a vision that sounds too dramatic but I just had this very simple image come into my mind of a circle with a fracture in it and I stopped mowing and I started thinking, I'm like, you know what, that's an island and there's a fracture on this island. And just all of a sudden, these ideas started coming to me about who these characters are in, in the community. And, just, and I just stopped. I just started writing on my phone and I thought, certainly having an idea like that doesn't just mean that any average Joe needs to just stop everything and the next day start writing a fiction book. But I felt like that I had something that was intriguing and I felt like that it could qualify as like a psychological thriller, but I took all, all the information back and I just parked it and I just let it sit from June until October. And I didn't even look at it, didn't revisit it, nothing. And in October, I opened it up and I thought, is there something here? Because I could look at it with fresh eyes. And so as I started going through it, I was like, this is something that I'm super, super passionate about, and that I would have the energy to write a book with. I am, I think I mentioned earlier, if, if somebody told me when I was any time in my, you know, mid thirties, that I would write books, and that I would have written four, I would have said, I have no interest. That sounds like torture. It sounds horrible. I don't know who these maniacs are that write books. <laughs> but it feels like uh, a lot of work and a lot of energy, but I, I feel like that I'm putting so much of myself into the project that I literally feel drained and exhausted when I'm done. So anyway. Yeah, I think it's it was Churchill who famously said that most people would like to have written a book, right? Not to do the work of actually <laughs> writing the book because it's a lot of work. It's It's odd. I worked at a publisher for a little bit and I was so surprised at how much work they do to just get it out. just a small little publisher, right? Like, whew, it was wild. And three or four people working full time to just like 
put out a few books every quarter, right? Wow, I know. That's unbelievable. Well, and on, on top of that, the funny thing was, is that I ended up starting, I, I wrote it from November, 2019. And I think I finished around May or June of 2020. And then the book didn't even publish until uh, September of 2021. And every single person who could write a book wrote one during the COVID shutdown. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the line of books that were queued before mine was just enormous. So yeah. the waiting period, it, it, I tell people it was like a 27-month gestation <laughs> before I could give wow. birth to this thing. Wow. Okay. Well, that, so it's got to be good, right? It's got to be ready. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it that's is. What I, I, I hope, I, I hope that that's yeah. the way that people see it. That's good. Okay. Well, I think that's, uh, that's really interesting. I, I noticed, um, I wanted to ask you about this because I noticed in the inscription you said, so you dedicate to your mom and dad, which is great. But then also you said, uh, to Dr. Kathy Barber for opening my eyes to the creative possibility of the written word, which right. I, I was like, Oh, there's a, there's a story behind that. Somewhere. Mm. Where, do, do you want to tell me that story? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to Hanover college in Southern Indiana and I took a composition class my freshman year. And my mom always read to me when I was little. And I, I, I don't think that I really, <laughs> don't really think that I loved to read books. I would read books occasionally, but I'm not a voracious reader. But um, I, I was always intrigued with words. And I have a, I, I was on the spell bowl team <laughs> in high school. And I was forced to do it. I did not choose to do it, but I was forced to do it. And I've just always had this propensity towards words. And I took the class at Hanover and the professor was like, hey, you need to major in English. And I said, nope. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, on, on every paper that she gave back to me, she wrote so many kind words and so much encouragement. And I think she was the one at the, she's probably the first person that I know, because I didn't write a lot before that, where she noticed something that there was possibility. There, there was potential. Mm. And she encouraged it in a big way. Yes. Okay, friends, if you had an encouraging English teacher, this means you need to start writing, right? <laughs> like, like, just pay attention. Pay attention to that. And if you are an English teacher, you know, encourage the encourage that in in, uh, in your students for sure. Now, now, I will balance that by saying this. I, I, and this is kind of a funny story. I was not in honors English in high school. I was such a slacker, and. I somehow, some way petitioned my way into an honors English class. And <laughs> I don't think that the, the teacher that I had was happy at all that I somehow made it into the class. And I ended up being such a slacker for her as well. She was the Spell Bowl coach. All right. So fast forward, this book, my fiction book, What Can't Be Hidden, comes out inexplicably a 90 year old man is the first guy in line at my book sale event at the local bookstore. Yeah. He comes up to me and that's her husband. Oh, and wow. she, she had passed away many years before, but he wanted to support me. And I told him, I said, your wife would be rolling in her grave if she knew that I ended up writing a book or, you know, a fiction book. 
And he said, whenever yeah. I, he said, whenever I get to heaven, I'll let her know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Very good. All right. Well, what can, uh, so what can people expect? It's, uh, is what, what did you call it? Uh, uh, I call it a uh, psychological thriller, a psychological thriller. That's it. Yeah. 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 yeah so it's deeper than that. And I have to let people, it's an allegory. And so if people are like, well, wait a second, what's an allegory? There's the story on the surface, which hopefully is super compelling. That is a page turner that will keep people really intrigued just in the story itself. But then there's a deeper message below the surface that it's telling as well. And so that's, you know, basically like, you know, uh, wizard of Oz is an allegory. It has a story beneath the surface and there are others yep. as well, but you know what I'm saying? Duh. Don't look up as an allegory. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> talking about that, but it is an allegory, right? Wow, that was something. What a ride. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. Uh, what an ending. Anyway, well, that's literally in so many ways. But yeah, okay, so it's an allegory. And it's it it's that's that's a tried and true form for uh for believers. So I love it. Um well cool. Uh, thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate you just sharing a little bit of your story. Friends, the book, again, is called What Can't Be Hidden uh, by Brandon Andres, and it's it's out there. So you can get it. Uh, it's go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can pick up a copy. Got We've got links there. We've got links to your website, which is brandonandres.com as well, right? So yes. people can find you. Uh, Brandon, is there anything you want to leave us with? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, a couple of things really quick is, one, Right now, as we speak, Amazon has marked the paperback 70% off, <laughs> and it oh, is wow. $5 a copy. And if you have Prime, you are literally, I think Amazon is paying you to take it. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they probably put more money into buying it than um, than what they're making on it at this point. But yeah, a huge beginning of the year sale and five bucks yeah. for the paperback. The other thing I'll say is I started a sub stack and it's just some writings that I'm doing that are very light. It's called Deep Calls to Deep, kind of like the uh, the, the uh, verse Deep Calls to Deep dot uh, substack dot com. So anybody could find that. But I, I put out a new writing every Tuesday and it's short, but it is full, hopefully, to guide people in wisdom and a more contemplative uh, posture. Yeah, perfect. I love that. I just signed up for it. Uh, hey, thank you. Uh, right before we hopped on, I saw that on your, on your, in your link somewhere. So I was like, oh yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> so, I'm I'm on there as well. Friends, join me, and uh, I love it. Brandon, thanks so much for being here. I do appreciate it. I, I enjoyed this conversation. Thanks hey, a lot. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to tell uh, your audience thank you. And we didn't discuss anything about the book because everything is a spoiler. There's no way we could discuss the book. So go on to Amazon and just read the description of what the book's about. And we'll go from there. Which is totally okay. So a little mystery, a little intrigue (laughs) friends, go pick it up. Thank you. 